You're listening to a sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Niagara. We believe in unapologetic preaching, unashamed adoration of Jesus, unceasing prayer, unafraid witness, and uncommon community. If you have yet to do so, we would love to have you join us for worship in God's Word on Sunday mornings. For more information, visit us online at harvestniagara.ca. Thanks for listening. God, we thank you this morning that we can come into your house and we can worship you, Father. What we bring to you, God, is sinful lives. What we bring to you, God, is our burdens. But God, what you bring to us is, is newness of life. What you bring to us is freedom from our burdens. What you bring to us is your son, Jesus, who changes everything for us. And God, today we pray that as we hear about Jesus, as we see Jesus, as we study Jesus, God, may this not just be an intellectual exercise, but God, may you, your message today penetrate every one of our hearts. And would we, God, by the grace and the power of our God, See Jesus clearly today, be refreshed in Jesus, and leave here rejoicing in the Son of God, our Lord and Savior. And so may these things be so, God, today, in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you don't have a Bible, I encourage you to put your hand up, and one of the ushers will get a copy of God's Word into your hands. Well, we've been studying uh, Jesus Christ uh, this last few weeks uh, from the book of Mark, a vintage Jesus, classic Jesus, real Jesus. And I've been praying along with my heart that your heart will be encouraged by these sermons and that you'll be re-energized by the fact that we have a Savior who is unlike anybody or anything in this whole universe. And so we have reason, no matter what the circumstance, to rejoice uh, today. And so we're going to continue studying uh, Jesus Christ, and we're going to continue looking at his life. Last week, I want to remind you, last week we looked at uh, Jesus uh, preaching his way through Galilee and calling disciples to himself. We saw uh, Ministry 101, Jesus' message and Jesus' mandate, realizing that Jesus' message and mandate is to call us to himself, that we might also share his message. But before you get this idea that Jesus was like a one-horse pony guy, uh, he wasn't just a preacher. He was also one who is deeply involved in other people's lives. He got dirty in the trenches of ministry, not just up there preaching a sermon. He was one who got down and dirty in the trenches in people's lives. He was casting out demons. He healed people. He really got to the messy places. Get this. He got to the messy places for the glory of God. Jesus wasn't just a one who came preaching and sharing, he also came healing and caring. Mark's communi clearly communicating through his message that Jesus, yes, he was, a fully, was fully man, he was a human being, but he was no ordinary human being. We've gotten that already so far, have we not? Jesus was no ordinary human being. In fact, he had no ordinary ministry. He talked with authority. He walked with authority because what Mark wants us to know through his whole book is this, Jesus didn't just walk and talk with authority, he is the authority. He is the son of God, he is God himself. And so as we study Jesus, understand we're not just talking about some little ministry points here, we're talking about the all-powerful son of God who also empowers us to live out the same life that he lived for us. And so today we're going to look at uh, verses 21 to 45. Now last, last Sunday, just a few verses. This Sunday we're going to tackle the rest of the chapter and uh, understand a little bit of Jesus. We want to pray that we see Jesus for Jesus today. And so really only a couple points here. The first one really covers all the text, and here it is. If you're taking notes, I encourage you to write this down. Number one, Jesus holds all dominion over demons and diseases. Jesus holds all dominion over demons and diseases. 
And so we pick up here in verse 21, and look at this. They went into Capernaum. Capernaum was a wealthy town on the north side of the Sea of Galilee, kind of where the uppity uppities were. And so immediately Jesus did. He went to the, uh, the, on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and was teaching. So Jesus started teaching and preaching like we learned last week. This was his main goal in coming. It tells us this later on in verse, uh, later on in verse 38 that this is why he came, that he may preach. And as he's preaching, look at verse 22, they were astonished at his teaching. For he taught them as one who had, here's the word I just said, authority, not as the scribes. So as Jesus is teaching, people are realizing from the moment he opened his mouth, he was not any ordinary teachers. The scribes were those who were well-versed in the law and the oral traditions. They were the PhD types who, when they spoke, everyone sat back and were like, oh, they're so smart. Yet when Jesus got up from the pulpit, this is a regular guy from Nazareth, they were like, oh my goodness, who is this fella? Because he taught with authority. Here's what authority is in the original language. It's exousia, exousia, out of substance. Not this light and superficial and little friendly message and we're going to be friends and you're going to be friends and God's your friend, but this, this, this deep and heavy and substantial message about the coming of God and, and the salvation that was at hand, the urgency of it, so much of the people were left going like, man, that was deep. Jesus' teaching was rattling their little pea brains, their little infinite minds with the infinite, so much so that they were, they were getting a little bit nervous. They were, they were a little bit terrified of this guy already. They're like, they're sitting up and taking notice for sure. Then look at verse 23, as he's teaching, as he's teaching, uh, I don't know if it's in the middle of the sermon, which would probably not be advantageous uh, or not, but immediately there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit. Out of nowhere, rather probably up from the pit is probably the way to put it, this man comes running in with an unclean spirit and he cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So this guy comes in and he's crazy, obviously. When it says he has an unclean spirit, that is Semitic for he's got a demon in him or he's of the devil. Now we know in the scriptures that when, before we go on team Jesus, we're all under the influence of the enemy to some degree, uh, yet this guy was like completely under the control of the enemy. The enemy had taken over the, the CPU. He had, he had uh, rearranging the whole uh, data within the system and he's completely on overdrive. They overdrove the whole man's life. This guy was completely demon possessed, maybe so, so much so that even his outward appearance, the unclean part, maybe his outward appearance just showed that, man, there's something wrong with this guy inside and out. And look at his question. I love how he asked the question right off the bat. He cries out. Can you imagine someone coming in here and doing that? That'd be a little unnerving, don't you think? What is going on? Here's this guy teaching with authority. This wild, crazy man comes out. I'm sure the synagogue's like, we've never seen anything like this before. This is strange. He cries out, what have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Why would he speak in plural? Is this like a... Uh, Multiple personalities kind of guy? No, probably this demon is speaking on behalf of all the demons, all those who have, who have graduated from the Satan school of demonology. He's realizing, like, what have you come for us to do to us, Jesus? Have you come to destroy us? He's already acknowledging that Jesus is the only one that has all power and authority over the demon world, the spiritual world. And he's like, what are you doing, Jesus? What are you here for? And as if anyone hadn't picked up on it already, don't you love how God uses different things to bring his message across. This is a demon-possessed man. And the, remember all the people that are like, man, this guy's smarter than the scribes. Like, who is he? The demon-possessed man points it out. I know who you are. 
Remember, even the demons from James chapter 2, they know who Jesus is, and they shudder. Even the demons, there's no doubt of who Jesus is, and they shudder. Here's what he says, I know who you are, the Holy One of God. So now everyone's like, this is crazy. Here's the scene, like, like who is this guy? This demon-possessed guy comes in and tells us exactly who he is. Notice it's not John who's preaching this. It's not Jesus' disciples who are preaching this now. It's a demon-possessed man. Notice a demon-possessed man in church. Isn't that kind of weird? It happens. Even today, I think probably more often than normal than not, because we just don't dig into the whole realm of the spiritual realm here. But notice the Holy One of God. This is who Jesus is clearly. Mark makes it clear right in chapter one so many times that this is the one who's set apart. He's sacred. He's anointed. Do you know anyone else who's called the Holy One of God? Ever met someone with that title before? Nope. Hope not. You're all looking at me like maybe, maybe. (laughs) I was expecting a no, like a resounding no. Why? Because there is only one, there only has been one, there only ever will be one. It's Jesus Christ, the Holy One, the Son of God. Look at Jesus' response. He's not intimidated by this. Like, I'd be probably cowering in the corner waiting for one of you big guys to come up and protect me at this point. Please do if that ever happens, just for the record. But Jesus stood face to face. He rebuked him. This is a strong word. You think Jesus is like this gentle, little, polite guy, right? He's like, be silent and come out of him. In other words, translated like, shut up and come out. Think you're going to stand face to face with Jesus and intimidate Jesus Christ, the Holy One and Son of God? Hey, you, shut up and come out. I'm sorry, I'm not pointing at you guys. <laughs> Peter Van Weirden's like, what, me? Immediately, look what happens. Look what happens. Like, this is the authority of Jesus Christ, the unclean spirit. This sounds like a sci-fi movie to me, like, like a, a Will Smith movie from Independence Day or something, you know? The unclean spirit convulsing him and crying out with a loud voice came out of him. Like, this, this, this whole, like, this uh, out of supernatural. And they were all amazed that they questioned among themselves saying, what is this a new teaching? Was it really a new teaching? No, it was just different than all their traditions and all their, all their rules and regulations. This is a whole different teaching that. This is like, hey, Jesus, God's sending his son, me, to come and save you from your sin. You need to repent and be baptized for forgiveness of sins. It's not something you can do. It's something Jesus says, I'm going to do for you. This whole new teaching, but yet with authority. He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. Get that? He even commands the unclean spirits and they obey him. This is the son of God. This is our Jesus, the same Jesus we serve today. And at once his fame spread everywhere throughout all the surrounding region of Galilee. Amazing. Before we move on, I just want to stop and just answer this question for you because I know many of you are thinking it right now. You're like, man, now we hear about this stuff in the Bible. We see it like, is this for real today? Or is this just something that happened in Jesus' day? Is this something that happened like overseas and all these kind of places? Like, like what is going on with this stuff? Uh, I just want to tell you this. The Bible is clear that there's a spiritual realm around us that is real. And it is powerful and it is significant and it is intense. It's not a fairy tale. The word is true. We as believers, I think, need to take more notice of the spiritual realm maybe in our day and age 
because maybe Satan has a heyday with us because we're so oblivious to it and think, ah, oh, that doesn't exist. That's what he wants us to think. That doesn't exist. And he, he can go and have a heyday in people's lives. Yet notice this, in the whole Bible, the spiritual realm is clear. Demons even come up in Deuteronomy 32. You're like, how come the Old Testament doesn't talk about demons? It does. Deuteronomy 32, verses 16 and 17 say this, they stirred him to jealousy, him, they being God's people, stirred him, God, to jealousy with strange gods, with abominations, they provoked him to anger. They sacrificed to demons that were no gods, to gods they had never known, to new gods that had come recently, whom your fathers had never dreaded. So it's always been evidence of the spiritual realm in the Bible, but yet why is the New Testament more focused on maybe the spiritual realm than the New Testament more than the Old Testament? It's because of this, because when Jesus came, like he put the whole demonic world on notice that they were coming to their end soon. And so there's a stirring within even Satan, his, his, his forces, that, oh my goodness, Jesus come, he's going to put an end to us forever. Like, there's a catapult of spiritual activity, demonic activity in Jesus' time because their mission was to stop Jesus' mission. Because if Jesus' mission succeeded, their mission would not. So that's why the emphasis in the New Testament may be more on the old because when Jesus came, truly all hell broke loose with fear, with intrepidation. They knew who he was and what he came to do. We're going to study this a little more later on in the book of Mark. Um, so in order to keep all the sermons like, give me something to say into the different passages, let me just tell you this about the spiritual realm. Even though it's real, even though it's intense, even though it's significant, I just want to tell you this. You have nothing to fear when it comes to the spiritual realm because if you're a believer, you have Jesus Christ. So don't be going looking for, you know, the demons under every rock and starting to look, well, that's demon. No, no, we don't have anything to fear as believers. Why? Because we have Jesus and he has all authority over every demon. Let me just go on to say this, move on to the next part here. As we think of Jesus' authority, it's not just over the spiritual realm, Jesus has authority, it's also over the physical realm. Look at this. He has power over the physical realm, even minor ailments. So after this whole thing goes down, immediately Jesus left the synagogue and entered the house of Simon and Andrew, James and John. So as soon as they come out of church, basically, after this whole thing happened, like, can you imagine? Like everybody's rattled. Imagine Jesus' disciples were shaking in their boots a little bit. Their minds were spinning. Like what just happened? You just caused a demon to come out of a man. That's crazy. Notice, though, as soon as they walk out of church, they, he takes his disciples to Peter's, Peter, Peter's mother-in-law's house. Just a little side note here. Peter had a mother-in-law. Anyone understand the significance of that? <laughs> Peter, the one who the Catholics say is the first pope, whom also say you should never be married, had a mother-in-law, which means he had a... and a sweet little old lady he called Ma. Where that whole thing about priests can never be married and all that stuff, we don't know where that came from because it didn't come from Peter's life is all I want to tell you. Anyways, they go to Peter's house. This is a little side note. I find those things interesting. <laughs> don't you? <laughs> didn't come from the Bible, that's for sure. They go to Peter's house and Peter's mother-in-law has a fever and you're thinking, so what big deal? Give her a Tylenol, I'll send her to bed. That's what I'd be thinking too. Like, man, we got, I just cast out a demon. Like, She'll be okay. I give her a cold cloth. You know what I mean? Let her sleep it off. And yet, notice the heart of Jesus. 
Instead of like, man, I've been busy today. I just preached my heart out. I just cast out a demon. He goes immediately to the Peter's mother-in-law's house. There's nothing too small for Jesus. Just notice this. Probably, probably fears are more of a big deal then than they are now, but they still weren't that big a deal, as commentators say. Like, it was just a common illness. Notice, he goes into her house, the heart of Jesus, the caring of Jesus, and he took her by the hand. He didn't even say a word. Notice how he cast the demon out by a word, this time just by a touch. He came and took her by the hand, kind of like, hi, Peter's mother-in-law. And he lifted her up, and her fever left her, and she began to serve him. Pretty spectacular that with just a touch. Again, his disciples are like, what is happening here? With just a touch now, not even a word. This is the, this is the authority of Jesus, just a touch. The fever left. You ever had a fever for more than like 24 hours? Like you don't eat much, you're drained. Even the fever leaves, it takes you a little time to get healthy again, right? And it takes you a couple days to get back in the swing of things and you feel good because you lost all that weight and the next meal you have, you bring it all back on, right? But notice like immediately, not just her fever left, she was well again, well enough to do what? What'd she do? She served them. She sprung into action. Like, oh my goodness, like Jesus Christ, disciples, let me feed you. Let me care for you. The authority of Jesus. That evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick or oppressed by demons. So this is the Sabbath, don't forget. Jesus is not supposed to be healing on the Sabbath because nothing's supposed to happen on the Sabbath. Nothing's supposed to happen. So everyone else is afraid to bring people to Jesus because it's the Sabbath, it's sinful. So as soon as the sun goes down, they're like, woohoo! Bring on the sick. Remember Monty Python? Bring out the dead. Bring out the sick. <laughs> that evening at sundown, they brought to him all who were sick and oppressed by demons. So again, don't forget Jesus' day. Don't forget all that happened. And yet look at this. He spends his day and his night. This is all in the day in the life of Jesus. He's getting into some pretty interesting scenarios and hard things in people's lives. He's meeting them where they're at. And the whole city was gathered together at the door. They're all knocking on the door going like, let me get a glimpse. And he healed how many? Everybody? He healed many. That's a key word we're going to talk about after. He healed many. Not everybody. He healed many who were sick with various diseases and cast out many demons. And he would not even permit the demons to speak because they knew him. I think this little passage here just reminds us of this when we think about healing and about Jesus and his power that Jesus cares about even our most menial illnesses and scenarios. Let's be honest. The first thing we think when someone gets sick in our house with a fever is like, oh my goodness, get the tile and I'll get to the, my wife has all her stuff in line and she knows what to give at what time. And, and, and yet, how many of us really call on Jesus for even the menial things that we want help for and healing for? This reminds us that Jesus Christ is not just the Jesus Christ, he's also the Jesus Christ who loves us and meets us in even all of our minor little ailments of life. It reminds us of this. He isn't bothered by requests for help with minor stuff. Instead, he invites it. He's not just the God of the majors. He's God of the minors. And he exercises even power over the small stuff. I'm going to skip over verses 35 to 39 and come to those at the end just to lump all this together in one little nice little package for you. But notice this. Jesus doesn't have power of the physical realm, the minor things. You think, oh, that's pretty cool. But look at this. He also has power over the major things in the major diseases in not just the lives of the people then, but the lives of, our, of us today. Notice a little subtitle of verse 40 is Jesus cleanses a leper. We read that subtitle and we're like, I don't even know what leprosy is. What's, what's a leper? When, when people in that day read that title, Jesus 
Jesus cleanses a leper. That's like Jesus cleanses the worst possible disease you could ever get in this lifetime. Sort of like our modern day cancer. We hear cancer, we get all like, oh, this is, this is leprosy. It's not just like a little skin rash. This is like a, a, kind of like a flesh-eating disease that dehabilitates almost a whole person in so many ways. And you wake up as a, as a person in this day with a little skin rash, and you're like, uh-oh, this could be a life sentence. So severe was leprosy. It had no cure. So severe was it that many people thought it was God's condemnation or judgment on somebody because, man, that's a life sentence. And so here we see Jesus, even not even afraid to engage with some of the hardest social ailments or concerns of the day. So verse 40, and a leper came to him, imploring him and kneeling to him, saying, if you will, can you make me clean? Like, they don't know what to do with me, Jesus. Here's what happened when you got leprosy. You wake up in the morning, your skin's looking a little funny, and you're like, I might have leprosy. It doesn't look like a rash. You go to the, the priest of all people, not the doctor, the priest. The priest would look at it and be like, yep, that's leprosy, all right. First thing he'd do is he'd remove you from your home. He'd remove you from your church, your synagogue. He'd actually remove you from your community. And Leviticus 13 tells us lepers weren't even welcome back in the community. Not only do they have this disease where it's like, it's like excruciatingly painful and it's, and it's hard to live with and deal with, and now they're isolated from everybody. So much so that they had a rule that if you're a leper, most lepers were living out in the wilderness by themselves. They were uncapped. They were a, little, a lot dirty. And if you're a leper, you couldn't come within 50 paces of somebody who was not a leper because it was so contagious and they wanted to contag- give, anyone, give anyone the disease. And, to make matters worse, if you're a leper and you saw someone coming and they got within that 50 pace range, you'd have to yell, unclean, unclean, look at me over here, I'm unclean. Like, how humiliating is that? You got, went near a leper and that was forbidden by the law to even touch a leper in this day and age. So this leper's like, they don't know what to do with me, Jesus, you're my only hope. I also notice this, only in the Old Testament do we see even two accounts of a leper possibly being healed by God. So it wasn't like he had a precedence for this. Like, like in the Old Testament, God did this. New Testament, he just has no other hope. He's seeing all the Jesus, he's like, he's like I'm going to come, I'm going to beg of you, Jesus. You're the only one that can heal me. Please heal me. Remember, he broke the 50 pace rule. He's like, he doesn't care. He's breaking all the social norms. I'm sure Jesus' disciples at this point were running the other way, like, okay, 49, you know. You know. Stop right there. And notice what Jesus does. Jesus doesn't run away from the leper. I love this. He moves to the leper. Notice this. He's thinking the law, the law, like the law said he shouldn't touch a leper. The law, pshaw law. Jesus is over the law, right? Jesus does this. I will. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand. Notice this, this is Jesus' heart. Moved with pity, he stretched out his hand and touched him and said to him, I will. I will be clean. And immediately the leprosy left him and he was made clean. And Jesus sternly charged him and sent him away at once and said to him, see that you say nothing to anyone, but go show yourself to the priest and offer for your cleansing what Moses commanded for a, for a proof to them. And so he's basically saying, go show, show the priest so that you can be re-engaged with your life, your community, your church. Like go and show the priest you'll be allowed back in the city walls. And, and don't tell anyone else though. Why would he say he didn't want to tell anyone else? Because I think Jesus realized that, that if everybody knew that he was doing these things, he'd become the circus show and not the savior Show. 
He knew people would come to him for what he could do for them and not just for him himself, as even so many people in our day and age do. I want Jesus for what he can do for me, but they don't really want Jesus at all. Jesus was concerned about that, and he didn't want that to happen. So, of course, this guy followed suit with that, right? He did not. He was so excited, he went out and began to talk freely about it. Well, I guess who wouldn't really, right? Man, like yesterday I was outside the camp and I couldn't talk to anyone. Today I'm like here with you guys. Like, this is amazing. So we went and talked about it and spread the news. So everyone had their cell phones out and they're taking Snapchats, right? And they're sending all their friends and the news is traveling quick so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town, which was his point of why he said don't tell anybody. He's not trying to keep himself a secret, but he didn't want the circus following him. So he went out to a desolate place and people were coming to him from every quarter. I love how it says oftentimes that Jesus went to desolate places. In other words, you know what? He really wasn't about being the center of attention. He really wasn't about the guy who, who wanted all the accolades and want the headlines. He just came to do what his father called him to do. I love this little leper part here because I think it really, really spells out the gospel clearly to us. The picture of a leper Picture of the clean one, the perfect one, and a leper who is unclean, unclean in every way. There's no way the two should meet, and yet the leper comes to Jesus. The picture of the gospel for us, we are all sinful like a leper. Our hearts are filled with leprosy called sin, and there's no way to get healed apart from coming to Jesus. And when we come to Jesus, look what Jesus does. He doesn't run away from us. He doesn't yell unclean. He comes and says, if you want to be healed by Jesus, he comes and says and touches you and says, I will be healed. Isn't that a sweet picture of the gospel? Because I was once a leper. And Jesus made my heart clean. It's a picture of the gospel. It's a picture of the grace of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. It's, it's awesome. It's a, it's a fulfillment, really, of, of what it says in the scriptures when it says that Jesus uh, came uh, to make us clean. It says in 2 Corinthians 5.21 that it even goes a step further than that. We don't just come to Jesus. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin. In other words, Jesus was willing to take our leprosy on so that in him we may become the righteousness of God. He who knew no sin crossed the barrier to become sin, that we would become the righteousness of God. It's a fulfillment also of Isaiah 53, verse 4. He took our diseases and healed our infirmities. He took our diseases and healed our infirmities. Even the worst of diseases and the worst of infirmities didn't intimidate Jesus. Isn't it amazing? Sometimes we read these stories, though, and it's hard for our minds to comprehend and understand, and we think, oh, I love, I love the stories of healings in the Bible, but does that really happen today? Does God still heal today? You ever thought that? Like, in your moment of honesty, you ever thought that today? Does God really heal today still? I love how you guys always leave me hanging, just me. I'm, I'm the only one that's ever thought that, yeah. Thank you, a few of you, a few of you. It does, it comes up. And so you're like, well, what's up with this? Because we've all had people that we've prayed for and they haven't been healed. We've had people we've prayed for and they have been healed. And then you start wondering, is that really God or is that the doctors or is that just a fluke of thing? And we have some people that we pray for and they be, maybe get healed enough to get out of the hospital, but they're never completely healed. And then others seem to like get out of the hospital, be healed and never go back. And we're like, well, what's up with all this healing stuff? Let me ask you this. Do you think healing still happens today? Absolutely do. You know why? Because why? the Bible tells us that this Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and how long? Forever. He's still the same. And so by faith, we choose to believe that Jesus is still the same today as he was then. And we still choose to believe that Jesus cares enough for his people, like he did for even Peter's mother-in-law, that 
when we call upon him, he is near us and he wants to, us to feel his touch and hear his voice and experience his embrace. We believe that that's the Jesus that we know and love today, do we not? And we believe that no matter what comes our way, that Jesus has all authority and power to still heal us. But the reality is the text says that he heals everybody. Does it say he heals everybody? Do you think there might be people in line that didn't get healed? Uh-oh, now we're getting to some questions that are like, do you think there might have been people in line that didn't get healed? What's up with that? So Jesus only cared about a few and not all? It's not the answer. I told you this story before when Maya was in the hospital her first year of her life. I mean, she was in some pretty dire straits at some points, and we met a family there who had a little boy that was exactly like Maya, was stiff as a board. He was floppy like a floppy. And, uh, we both had small heads. They both had some of the same diagnosis. It was like a boy version, a girl version. And, and we walked with this family for the first year. We got to know them super well. And, and, you know, after the first year and a bit when Maya started, actually when he had his little Corey had his feeding tube put in, it, it actually worked and Maya's didn't. He was actually getting better. Maya wasn't. We're like, what's going on? It's not. Long story short, like Maya seemed to take off after our elders came and prayed for her. And that seemed to be the defining moment in her life. And she seemed to take off. And he seemed to go downhill after that. And at three years old, we went to his, we went to his funeral. And you walk into the funeral home, I'm feeling guilty. Like, why me? Why not? Like, it doesn't make sense. Like, you even have the same little glasses, you know what I mean? You see his little picture. and Why, do, why does God choose one and not another? Does it mean he doesn't love that one person, the other one more? One family's more special than the other family? Is that, is that what it means? Not at all. It just means that he's God. <laughs> I think what God wants to show us is he can and chooses at times to heal whatever he chooses to heal. doesn't matter what you got. God can heal it. But other times he chooses to not work in that way for reasons only known to him. We have to believe that God is above time and above, we're down here working in time and God is above all these things and he looks down, he sees the whole picture from the start of eternity till the end. He knows all the outcomes and all the possible ways and he knows what's gonna happen next generation, next generation and we have to believe that God knows best in all these things so we pray to God, believing God, you are like this, you can do this but then we pray at the end, but your will be done because we have to admit in our little superficial, self-centered oftentimes way of thinking, we just don't get the big picture. but it doesn't diminish the power of God. It's a hard tension to live within, isn't it? And it doesn't diminish God's love for you or your loved one that maybe isn't being healed or your loved one that didn't get healed or the disease that you're going through that you don't make sense of because it doesn't seem like your prayers are being answered. It means that God has a different plan for everybody. And ultimately, sin, sorry, ultimately, illness and death are a result of sin, a sin-cursed world that we're all gonna face in some way. But in the end, we learn from Psalm 30 that in the end, we may be weeping for a night, that's this time on earth, but in the end, there'll be joy in the morning, the, moment, the morning we wake up with Jesus for all of eternity. This is Jesus Christ. Before I move on to some application in this, I just really want to go back to that section I jumped over because I know you 
I want to hear what that has to say too. I want you to see this about Jesus. In all these things, in all this power, and all this strength of Jesus, notice this. Notice this, Jesus' ministry was fueled by prayer. Where did this power come from? How is Jesus so significant? Was it because he was the son of God? And, and yet notice what Jesus does in verse 35. They kind of sandwich in between these, these texts, I think, to show you where the power came from. In between healing many people, uh, including casting out a demon and Peter's mother-in-law, this is what he did before he even healed the leper, rising very early in the morning. After, so after the Sabbath, he healed until the middle of the night. He probably had a couple nights sleep. While it was still dark, he departed, went out to a desolate place. And there he, what did he do? He did what? He, 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 he prayed. This is where the power was. And Simon and those who were with him searched for him, and they found him and said to him, everyone's looking for you, Jesus. Well, he got that, right? They're thinking, like, Jesus, you're, ministry, you're, you're missing some serious ministry opportunities now. Like, you could be healing so many more people. You could be sharing the message so many more times. Here's what Jesus is telling us. He realized that without prayer, he had no ministry. He needed time to refocus. He needed time to re-energize. He needed time to get his eyes fixed on God. John 5 tells us that all that Jesus did is what his father showed him. You hear that? All that Jesus did is what his father showed him. How did God show him those things? Through his connection through prayer. Where did his power come from? It came from connecting with God through prayer. This is where his ministry was fueled. So even the disciples were saying, hey, you have more ministry to do. Jesus realized he didn't have a ministry without prayer. This is an important note for our lives that we want to hold on to for a little bit later too. Notice Jesus' prayer life wasn't convenient. It wasn't when he had a few extra minutes in a day. It was committed. It was sacrificial. It was of utmost importance before anything else happened. Here's where Jesus is praying. Jesus, the son of God, praying. Everyone's looking for you, and Jesus is like, yeah, good for them. Verse 38, and he said to them, well, let's go on to the next towns, and I may preach there also, for that is why I came out. Remember I told you last week his main goal was preaching. I know some of you were looking at it like, well, really was it? Really was it? It was right here in verse 38 that my... Let's go to the next town that I may preach, for that is why I came ultimately to preach. All these miracles, all these casting out of demons, all these healings, they're just to give him a platform to preach. That's all it was for. So he went throughout all Galilee, preaching synagogues and casting out demons. I just want to stop and notice in this text, because this whole series is really going to focus on Jesus. I just want you to stop and realize the character of Jesus that is shining forth in just Mark chapter 1. I think some of us, honestly, we're so eager to have the personal application. What do I do with it? What do I do with it? Here's what I want you to do with this. Stop and behold Jesus again. I know some of us in this place, we're like, I need a vacation. Like, the stresses are piling up on me. I just need to get away. I need to get away. What we don't need mostly is to get away. What we need is a fresh perspective of Jesus Christ, the one who is, has authority over all of everything in our lives. Notice these four things about Jesus' character and let these things sink deep into your soul. Some of them I'm gonna say because they're in the text, but I've already talked about them enough that I'm just gonna touch on them. But here's Jesus' character. Here's who Jesus is. He preaches openly. His primary purpose is to preach. We've covered that so much, but don't miss it. His primary purpose is to bring the message of salvation to your life, that your life may be changed, that other people might also hear his message of salvation. That's what he primarily came to do is to preach. But notice this from today's sermon. He commands dominantly. The command of Jesus is second to no one or nothing else in the universe. No general, no king is higher than the command of Jesus Christ. 
It doesn't matter who you are, what country you run, how many nukes you have. It doesn't matter. There is one name that is above every other name. It's Jesus Christ. Put all the universes together, all the, not universes, all the countries in the universe together, and you know what you have? Nothing compared to the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus holds all command and all authority and all dominion over everything, including your life. Including your life. Jesus doesn't want us to give him a superficial I love you each day. He wants to have that full authority over your life. So many of us want Jesus' authority over our illnesses. He wants Jesus' authority over our, our spirituality. But we don't want to give him authority over our life. That's where it starts. That's where even demons start being cast out. It's not a simple prayer you say. And if I say this prayer and 20 times and enlist 40 friends from Facebook to say the same prayer, then it's going to happen. If I only pray enough, I'm going to make Jesus do whatever I want him to do. You know what Jesus wants more than any of that stuff? You know what really casts out demons and, 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 and where we see God's power really coming alive and healing is when he's the center of your life, irregardless of what he is going to do for you. He commands all authority and all reign over our lives. Yes, he commands all, all spirituality, he commands all physicality, but Jesus commands our lives. And if you're his today, then whatever is going on in your life, he's in complete command over that also. Even if it's not going the way you think it should. Even if he's not answering your prayers exactly in your timing, notice this, if he is over everything, and if he is Lord over your life today, then you have nothing to fear because he's even Lord over that illness that you can't shake. He's even Lord over the anxiety that you cannot run away from. He's even Lord over the depression that you battle with. You can't understand, why is he not healing me? Why is he not healing me? Even in the lack of healing, he is over it. He's over it. No matter what you're facing today and what stage of life you're going through, whatever burden you're bringing in here today and you're wondering, is God in control? Is God over it? I know we all walk in here a smiling face and pretend we all have it going on. None of us do. We all wonder, is God over it? Can I tell you this, brothers and sisters? He's over it. And you don't have to be over it for him to be over it. He's over it. Notice this about Jesus, too. He cares deeply. Jesus' heart is to care deeply. Not only is he over it, as in like, oh, yeah, I got this licked. He cares deeply. He's over it in a way of a, as, a, as, a, as a mother is, is over her child in their, death, in their sickbed, as a, as a father runs to his child, screams in the middle of the night. He is he's over it, but he's also over it by caring deeply. Look at how Jesus responded to the demon-possessed man. That guy'd be easy to toss aside and preach it to the people in the synagogue. No, he is, he's caring and, and he didn't have to cast that demon out. He did. Look how Jesus responded to Peter's mother-in-law. He's caring. He takes time for the simple, superficial things in life. Look how Jesus interacted with the leper and when everyone else is running away, look what Jesus did. He's coming closer. He's coming forward. He loves you. And as some people think in today's day and age, well, if I am sick and if I have battles and it must mean that God doesn't love me, that is so far from the truth. He loves you in your sicknesses and in your battles. 
And let's be honest your, sick, honest, your sicknesses will never be over fully until you meet Jesus. Your battles will never be done until you're with him in glory. But guess what? He cares deeply, and he's with you in the midst of the battle. We are hapless, helpless, hopeless sheep. That's why the analogy of the shepherd is so good, and he is the good shepherd who cares for the sheep, who can't care for themselves, and his desire for us as we go through hard things in life and as we don't get the things that happen in our lives, his desire for us is to uh, have us to run to him and know his love rather than flee from him and think that he doesn't love us. Like every loving parent wants to embrace you and tell you it's going to be all right, so does Jesus. He cares deeply. I know some of you have been through some very hard things in life. And you look at everybody else and say, but they haven't encountered that, and they don't go through that, and their life's so much better than mine. God must love them more. You know where that comes from? Satan. It's not the word of God. He's over everything, and he loves you deeply. He longs for you to come to him, just like, just like the, the leper came running in faith, running. We were to go running to him by faith and saying, God, if you can, he wasn't, it wasn't the leper saying like, maybe you can, or I don't know if you can. He's saying, if you can, or if you will, like, I know you can, and if you choose, let me have it. Jesus cares deeply about your life, every aspect of your life, every little thing about your life that maybe you don't think is important. He cares, and he knows. I also want you to notice this. I already talked about this, so I'm just going to say it here again just because it's so important here. Jesus prayed fervently. Jesus prayed fervently. He pr- this is his character. He's, he's humble. He's a, he's a humble God. He's a dependent God. He's not lording it over anybody. He's showing us the path to true victory as he prays, as he seeks the Lord. This is the character of Jesus. He's, he's the most beautiful person that has ever graced the planet. He is the perfect human being that we all long for our spouses to be. And we wish our pastor was. And we look down on our parents for not being. He's it. You need to look no further than one person to find the perfect person in this life. It's Jesus Christ. You need to look no further than one person to put all your hope in. It's Jesus Christ. You need to look no further than one person that that will never, ever fail you. He's not failed me yet, and he never will. Who is that? It's Jesus Christ. If you're saved today, this is your God. This is my God. Nothing life can throw at me. Nothing you can throw at me. Nothing I can throw at you. Nothing changes the fact that if God is for us, who can be against us? The beauty of coming to Jesus Christ, the power of the gospel, this is it. This is it. You can walk out of here head held high, not because it was a great worship service, not because the worship was awesome, the preaching was on. You can walk out, out of here head held high because Jesus is your Lord and your Savior, and he has all authority in your life. How do we respond to this? First step is to be like the leper and run to Jesus and say, Jesus, heal me from my leprosy called sin. I need healing. You're the only one that can do it. I can't heal myself unclean, unclean, I need you to heal me, Jesus. The rest of our response is actually in the text. Let me just give it to you in one sentence for each of them. 
be like the demon-possessed man and urgently pursue Jesus. I got one person to find in this life and one person to be with and only one, that's Jesus Christ. He's my priority. Be like Peter's mother-in-law and diligently serve him. No more, I'm here for God to serve me and I don't care what, about anything else. I'm, but you know, I've seen the glory of God in my life and so now my job, my desire, my delight is to serve him faithfully and fully. I want wherever I can, whatever I need to do, I want to serve God in response for the ultimate healing he's given me in his son but also all the other realities of his authority that's been evident in my life. How about this one? Eagerly commune with him as Jesus did. Brothers and sisters, we talk about prayer a lot in our church. We, we hammer the thing about prayer, and we gotta pray, we gotta pray, but, but let's be honest, it's, it takes effort and diligence, and come on, if Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the all-powerful one, took time to pray, how much more do you and I? If he realized that his ministry was nothing without prayer, then how can we ever think that we're gonna accomplish anything without prayer? Prayer is vital for our lives to refocus and re-energize and renew within Jesus Christ. We're not praying, and you know what? We are gonna be fruitless, we are gonna be helpless, and we're gonna do a lot of good Christian things, and we're gonna see no spiritual fruit from it. Why? Because prayer is the power source for us as believers. Prayer is, as I say it often, to our souls what hot air is to a hot air balloon. Prayer is the only thing that can move us. But I don't even feel like praying. You know what you gotta do? You gotta pray that God will help you pray. But I don't have time to pray. Make it a priority to pray. God's given us 24 hours in a day. We have enough time in each day to do what we need to do. But I want our church to be powerful, but I don't want to pray. Well, we pray, people are praying right now. We pray before service, we pray after service. We have prayer once a month, uh, uh, prayer and praise. Like if it's so imperative for Jesus, that the body of Christ has to be attached to God, to Jesus through the, through the same power of prayer. Prayer has to be your priority. You have to commit. You have to, and I'm not just saying this because I'm your pastor telling you, you have to, you have to, you have to. Your spiritual lives revolve around whether you're willing to commit to prayer or not. Eagerly commune with God, God through prayer. Eagerly commune with Jesus through prayer. Even if you're realizing that all these things, these responses, I really don't have any urgency to pursue him. I really don't have any diligence to serve him. You know where you can get that from? Asking God to move your heart through the power of prayer. How about this last one? Authentically put my faith in him. That's the leper, authentically put my faith in Jesus Christ. Implore God to heal you in all of your sin, in all of your sickness. Come to God and say, God, I know, I know that you are able. I'm gonna submit myself to you. I'm gonna humble myself before you. I'm gonna ask that you be God in my life. Every single day of my life, I'm gonna come to you by faith, trusting that you are God and you know what's best and you have my best at hand. I am gonna walk by faith and not by sight. It's gonna take you to some interesting places but you're going to see some God in some radical ways when you respond to him in this way. All those things about Jesus, it's not just that we can know Jesus more in our heads and leave him going, huh, he's a good God. I like that guy. It's that we can urgently pursue him, we can diligently serve him, we can eagerly communicate with him, we can authentically put our faith in Jesus Christ, even now, even today, no matter what you're going through, whether you're believer yet or not, today's the day you put your faith in Jesus. Come and let him touch you that you might be clean. No matter what you're walking through today, whatever hopeless situation you're going through, there's one place to go. That's Jesus Christ. Let me pray.
Father, thank you for your word today. We know, oh God, that you do hold all power and dominion and authority. Make our hearts believe that this morning, Father. Those walking in with doubts, God, would you take those doubts and not even just erase them, help them to see Jesus, help them to look in the face of Jesus right now. Those coming in with hardships, Lord, and maybe the prayers aren't being answered and the healings aren't coming. Father, would you help them now? Would you help them? Not battle with the question, just look to the face of Jesus, the most beautiful face we could ever look to. Father, for those coming in this morning, and life is, for the most part, grand as well as it can be here on this earth. God, I pray that in their good seasons, they would not neglect to realize that, God, you're the one who is over all. You're the one who is above all. And they continually, God, walk faithfully and humbly before you with their eyes set on you in every way. God, would you take this sermon